Well, today, I tell you, today, today is a very special day for a lot of us here. Uh, very special day. It's the start of the Major League Baseball season. That's right. Yep, that's starting today, opening day today. Tigers, I understand, are Tuesday, but uh, a number of teams get underway today. And uh, I've been kind of under the weather lately, so uh, this afternoon I get to sleep in front of a baseball game. That's what that means. It's, it's great. Um, and there's another kind of summertime activity that took place uh, in, in Scripture, and, and we're talking about that today, and that is fishing. Fishing. Now, for some of us who are not fishermen, you know, we might say, well, that's kind of a non-event, isn't it, you know, fishing? But uh, actually, Jesus showed up at this event, and whenever Jesus shows up, it's always an event. And, and this event began this way in John, in John 21. It says this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now when the women went to the tomb on that first Easter morning, what we celebrated a week ago now, uh, they were met there by an angel according to the Gospel of Mark. And the angel said these words to, to them at the tomb. said, go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And what they did then was they went back, they told, eventually anyway, they told the other disciples in the upper room about Jesus uh, being raised from the dead. And Peter and John ran to the tomb, came back, reported that. Jesus appeared to them a couple of times. And they went on and did exactly what the angel said. They went to Galilee, which is where we catch up with them right now, in Galilee. Now, what we're talking about here is uh, not just a story, but it involves real live people, and real live people need to survive. They need some means of support, right? Uh, and, and so what they did when they got to Galilee was they went to work. Peter was a fisherman. His means of support was by fishing. So he went back to fishing so that he might be able to sell the fish that he caught and be able to survive while he was waiting to meet up with Jesus there. It's kind of like um, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in uh, um, his missionary travels, what he would do is he would uh, sell tents. He, would, he, would, he was a tent maker, so he would make tents, sell tents to be able to support himself as he was traveling around the Mediterranean and, and sharing the gospel. And now Peter was kind of doing the same thing, except that he wasn't a tent maker. He was a fisherman. So he went fishing. And there he went to this place called the Sea of Tiberias, which is simply just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And there there were these fishing villages by the name of Bethsaida and Capernaum. And uh, Peter is from Bethsaida, which means house of fish. That word uh, Beth means house of. So you've got like Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And this is house of fish. It's a fishing area. There were seven disciples in all. Uh, no mention of where the other four might be. You know, Judas is gone by now. So seven disciples in all, and uh, they went fishing. Now, seven men in a fishing boat of that era would have completely filled the boat, leaving no room for fish at all, assuming that uh, they truly wanted to catch fish, which I think is a pretty safe assumption. They would have had to have had two boats, 
So here are our two boats. Work with me on this. Okay. So we've got our two boats and uh, seven fishermen in the two boats. And what they would do in those days is that they would oftentimes go fishing as a family group where they would have some in one boat, some in another boat, and then they would drape these vertical nets between the boats with cork at the top of the nets and lead weights at the bottoms of the nets so that they could trap a school of fish inside of the nets. And then uh, what they would do is they would take the nets that were remaining in their boats and then they would cast those nets over that school of fish that was in the middle of between the boats. You see, if, if they were just to cast their nets on top of the fish without the sidewall nets, the fish would become frightened and just scatter. They wouldn't catch anything. So they had the sidewalls there. And then one of their number would normally be the swimmer who would jump out of the boat. And uh, once the fish were caught, he would uh, grab a hold of the net and help to hoist the net with the fish in it back up into the boat. In this particular case, it appears as though Peter was the swimmer because Scripture talks about Peter as not having any clothes on. And in those days, you know, they couldn't just go down to the store and and buy a swimming suit, you know, go down to their local Speedo store or something. They couldn't do that. So what they would do is they uh, they would swim naked is what they would do and then get back in the boat and put their, their, their working smock back on because it wasn't considered to be kosher in public to be naked, so they would you know, wear that in the boat. So Peter was apparently that. He was, he was the swimmer. And they would fish before the light would come up, before dawn, because they knew that the fish would, would pool in these, in these schools of fish uh, during those hours before the sun would rise. So when Scripture talks about them not having caught any fish that night, what they're saying is before the sun rose, uh, they were fishing and they weren't able to catch any fish. And that night, the disciples caught nothing. They caught nothing. They had nothing to show for their labors. And then they heard a voice from the shore. And the voice said this, Friends, haven't you any fish? I mean, it's like he's kind of, you know, playing with them, poking at them just a little bit there. No, they answered. Now, if you are a fisherman, you understand how humble and humiliating that answer is to be able to say, no, and especially if you're a professional fisherman and you still don't have any fish. It's like, you know, these, these programs where they're, I don't know, you know, if you're flipping around the dial, maybe sometime you've come across a professional fishing tournament or something and they've got these cameras on these guys and I've often wondered, what happens when they don't catch any fish? I mean, you know, to, to have the cameras on these guys and not catch any that's that's Peter. He's got the cameras on him. He's got no fish. He's got nothing to show for it. But the disciples did not recognize the voice. These seven are supposed to be Jesus' sheep, and Jesus talks about how his sheep hear his voice and they follow him, they know his voice, but they don't understand. They don't know who this is. But in spite of this, in spite of this, for whatever reason, the disciples do what he says. And Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. 
Now, does it matter what side of the net you go fish or what side of the boat you go fishing on? I, you know, I remember back when I was on a fishing trip in, in Minnesota one time a number of years ago. Uh, we went on a pontoon boat, a bunch of guys and me, and, and it didn't take long to notice that whichever side of the pontoon boat that I stood on, the guys that I was with, with fishing would always go to the other side of the boat. And I would go to the other side of the boat, and they would come back where I was before. And after a while, I realized, you know, my fishing ineptitude is legendary. And they knew that, you know, if, if I were fishing on one side of the boat, they weren't going to catch any fish because, you know, any self-respecting fish down there would be laughing at my lure, and they would be so busy laughing, they wouldn't bother to bite onto their hooks. So they would go to the other side of the boat. So apparently, sometimes, it does matter what side of the boat you're fishing on. But let's take a look at this, okay? Think about this, all right? Here we've got the two boats. We've got the, the side walls of the nets here that are surrounding the school of fish. They throw the nets in, and uh, that way the, the fish, when they're frightened, they run into the sidewall nets. They can't escape. They were able to catch the fish. But over here, they throw the nets off the side of the boat. There's no sidewalls nets to stop the fish. I mean, talk about being out of the box. This makes no sense at all that they would ever even consider this method of fishing. And yet, for whatever reason, the disciples do it. They throw their nets off the right side of the boat. And when they did so, they were unable to haul in all the fish because there were so many. It makes no sense. Now, Peter, being the swimmer in his fishing expedition... Um, he was there on the boat by, by this point and watching all that has just transpired and can't believe it. And then he hears the voice of one of the other disciples in the boat who says this, John 21, And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, if you've ever tried to swim with clothing on, you know how tough that can be. And here it doesn't make much sense either that Peter would throw all of his clothes back on, you know, and jump in the water to go see Jesus. Now, really what, what was taking place here wasn't like he was, you know, getting dressed up in his tux or something like that before diving into the water to go see Jesus. What happened was that he was wearing his working smock, and as the swimmer, he wouldn't be wearing a loincloth. So he took his working smock and tied it up around him so that he was able to cover himself up so that when he met Jesus on the shore, he would be completely covered up. And with that, what we can see is not just a matter of mere modesty. It wasn't a matter of just mere modesty. Instead, what it would be would be an, an, an actual uh, representation of Peter covering himself up from the sin that was part of his life. So that, you know, the three times that Peter denied Jesus, you know, and now he's going to go see Jesus face to face, what in the world's going to happen? You know, how in the world could he possibly face his Lord now? Well, back in the Garden of Eden, you know, we can see the very first cover-up where Adam and Eve, you know, had, had sinned against God and they had uh, tried to be like God and they wanted to be like God and they sinned against Him and rebelled against God and, and then they heard God walking in the garden. And that's when they wanted to cover up. That's when they wanted to, to hide from God, and they were hiding themselves. And that's what can happen is that when we're faced with guilt, when we're faced with 
really who we are, we, we can have several different responses to that. One, one is to just kind of bury our heads in the sand. And, and, you know, we live in a very shallow thinking age where a lot of people do this. Just bury our heads in the sand and kind of ignore who we really are. Or another way is to approach God in, in a, a way that we're just kind of pretending. Pretending that God doesn't see, pretending that there's nothing wrong, pretending that there's nothing really there. Not realizing that God sees everything and God is all-knowing and, and just kind of playing this game with God. But instead, what God is saying, come to me. You know, come to me as you are. Come to me who you are. Not afraid of what you're going to find. So Peter came to Jesus. He came to him there on the shore. And then the disciples, you know, minus their swimmer now, had to somehow figure out how in the world to get this great big load of fish back to the shore because they couldn't haul it into the boat by themselves. They didn't have the swimmer there. The thing was too big, so they just hauled it behind the boat all the way to the shore. And then they, when they got to the shore, there was Jesus with Peter sitting around a campfire with some fish roasting on the campfire. So where'd the fish come from? <laughs> where'd they come from? They came from the same place that the disciples' fish came from, which is to say that they came from Jesus. They came from Jesus. He's the one who provides for them what they need. Or as we say in the Lord's Prayer, our daily bread. He's the one who provides that for us. And he provided it for the disciples. So here, John 21. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And the number three is going to figure prominently into this story. You know, first of all, Jesus appeared to them three times, this being the third time. Peter had denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus is asking Peter three times if Peter loves Jesus. After the first time that Jesus asked him this question, Peter said this in John 21. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. For Peter to get on with life, he first and foremost needed this. He needed to do something about the shame. He needed to do something about the guilt. And Jesus, with each time, he wiped away the guilt of what took place. So that what Peter wound up with was a blank slate. And a blank slate is great. It's the place that is a place of new beginning, a place where we can start fresh. You know, last week was a great week. You know, when we celebrated the things that uh, Jesus did for us. We remembered those things and we relived many of those things. I mean, Monday, Thursday with uh, uh, Jesus' first Lord's Supper and uh, his betrayal and then Good Friday with Jesus dying on the cross for us and then Easter Sunday with him being raised from the dead and victorious and now we get to live with him. I mean, all of these things are wonderful and they all lead to this, a blank slate. The question is, what now? What happens now? And that's what Peter is facing. Because, well, Jesus told it this way in a parable back in Luke 11. He said, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, 
It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left, and when it arrives, it finds the house swept and clean and put in order. The slate is rubbed clean. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. In other words, wiping the slate clean is just the beginning. That if we just leave it there, if the Easter message simply just sits there and does nothing to us, it doesn't make any difference in our life, then what we run the risk of is that that slate gets filled back up again with things that were worse than what was there before. And Jesus didn't want Peter to experience anything that was worse than what he had experienced before. I mean, how can you possibly experience something worse than denying Jesus three times? But Peter could. So Jesus gave him instructions on what to do next. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Then live out that love. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Follow Jesus. And this leads us to this place where we are right now after Easter. You know, when Jesus first called his disciples, they were in fishing boats much like this. And when he did, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And now when he calls them again and calls Peter, calls the disciples in and he says, Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my lambs. Then he says, follow me. It's the same message. And today that's the message that he gives to us. Don't let that Easter message just sit there. Use it. Because Jesus is alive. So use it. Listen to his voice. And follow him. Amen.